Okay, so we're in week two of our uh, vision series. Every January, I talk about what's the mission of our church? Why are we here? What are we doing? What are we all about? And if you look at that um, bulletin that you were handed when you came in, on the back is our mission statement. And, um, and so we just take three weeks to go over each one of those words so that we can all kind of get on the same page and uh, figure out what we're doing and why, and why we're doing it. And so uh, we talked last week about reach. Actually, that should say restore, but uh, anyway, I don't know who does those things. But uh, we talked about the five circles, and these represent five types of people that we come into contact with. Uh, the first is the community, and they're just anybody around us. This is kind of our neighborhood. And, th- and this, we believe fully that this is not just our neighborhood around the church. It's your neighborhood around your home, okay? That the church goes out and, and is the church outside of these four walls. And so this, these would be people in your community. Then there's the crowd. And those are people who uh, might just have some type of connection with us some way. Um, then we have the congregation. Those would be people who would call this their church. Uh, if they, even if they only come once a year, they say, no, Living Spring is our church. Um, and then there's the committed. Those are the people who are here uh, every week or just often, you know. And then there's the core, and that is our board and people who are ministry leaders. And, and not even necessarily that. There's some that are in our core that don't lead in the ministry, but they're just kind of like the DNA of our church. They've been here for a long time, and we love them. And, and, and so uh, reach has to do with these two outer bands. We want to reach people and tell them about Jesus, okay? So uh, the, that's the... Um, community and the crowd. And then this morning, we're going to talk about this idea of restoration. And the restoration is just bringing something to what it's supposed to be. So the church, in the church, they use this fancy pants word, uh, sanctification, okay? It's just like becoming more holy, okay? But uh, we use restoration because it starts with R, like Reach does. Um, but uh, But this is the idea that our lives, your and my lives, are designed to serve God. And so they they should be in this maturing um, uh, stage where there were some things we used to do maybe in our 20s that we were ashamed of or whatever. And hopefully as we begin this process of knowing who Jesus is and him freeing us from things, our 30s were a little closer as David was talking. Maybe you'll see this in your spiritual life where you never knew anything about the Bible and then you begin to study it and then you begin to love it and then you begin to be like, man, you're passionate about it. It's all part of sanctification. It's about being restored. Um, and so the way we talk about it is we want to take someone from a first-time visitor uh, to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so if you're in one of these bands, we are not ashamed to tell you that we are going to try to push you down into another band. <laughs> if, you're, if you're just part of the crowd, we want you part of the congregation. If you're part of the congregation, we want you committed. We want you serving. We want you moving. We want you stretching and growing in your relationship with God. And then if you're uh, part of the committed, we want you part of the core. We want you to be uh, fully vested in what's going on in the kingdom of God as it relates to Living Spring. And so, uh, so the first two is we reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father. And then we restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son. And we're going to talk about uh, restoring this morning. 
Our first Be the Church, for those of you who are new, we do this thing every year where we go out, we ditch church on a Sunday, and we go out and we fix up some homes for people who are hurting in our neighborhood. And so uh, the first time we did that, we, we hit three homes. And uh, what I did first to get out of all the work was I went to each uh, place and took pictures and talked to people as though I were um, the foreman, and then I didn't have to do anything. So, uh, no, so I, I went, went to each one to see how everyone was doing, and the second house I went to, we were cleaning up uh, a house for a hoarder. And, and when I stepped, okay, so just to give you a little background about myself, I wash my hands a lot and I use Purell a lot because I'm a kind of a germaphobe, okay? So if I shake hands with you or whatever and you just see me like all of a sudden dousing myself with uh, Purell, don't be worried about it. Just know that I'm kind of a freak. And so to go to a hoarder's house for someone like me is horrible. I just, I like look around, you know, I'm just like, hey, this is awesome. And so I don't have any pictures um really because i mean one of the reasons i don't have pictures is because you know you just don't walk into someone's house and start taking pictures you know it's just kind of disrespectful like wow you, this is disgusting you know how do you live like this you know you're just, just snapping all the you know and, and and then the other thing was i just wanted to get out of, out of there as fast as i could but i was able to sneak that picture there and first i'm looking out and i know that some of you were actually at that house cleaning up we could have easily filled up 10 dumpsters and not even made a dent at this house it was just incredibly disturbing (laughs) but nothing was as disturbing as the story of the fish so we were in i believe it was this room right here uh picking up and uh when you're with a hoarder uh, uh, there, there are some things you might think is trash but they don't think it's trash. So you can't just start grabbing stuff and throwing it out. The, 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 the person needs a grieving process through each one that g- goes into the trash. So, so, but we were in this room and <clears throat> wrapped in butcher paper, like you'd go to the butcher and they put it on there and they put the price per pound, all, all that, you know those little things? It looks like a little burrito kind of. One of those was in this room and it had fish in it. And it was a year old. Now, just so we're all on the same page, fish goes bad when it's not refrigerated or is in your garage for a year, okay? So I just, that's something you can just take to work tomorrow, you know, just go, yeah, I learned something really fascinating in church. Uh, Fish, did you know that fish goes bad if it's in your garage for a year? And they'll be like, wow, where do you go to church? You're like, awesome place. The guy guy gives us all sorts of information that we can use. So if you have fish in your garage that's been sitting there for a year, don't, don't eat it, okay? Now, I think we can all agree that year old fish wrapped in butcher paper in the garage is trash. So, we took the year old fish, we put it in the dumpster, done. Oh, Might have saved a life. Not 20 minutes later, she is in the dumpster, getting the fish back out of the dumpster. Now, here's the thing how does that happen? Like, how do you get to that place where you can't see that that 
is bad for you, that it's rotten, that it's stinky, that it's, like, how do you get to a place in your life where a whole group of people are all over your property saying, don't eat that, it's bad, and you go, no, it's good, it's still good. And I thought to myself, this particular story is exactly what our lives can become. As Christ comes in and goes through all of our rooms in our life, and we say, oh, here, here's my sexuality, take a look. And he goes, wow, you know, (laughs) fish goes bad when it's left out. Oh, here are my finances. Oh, hey, do you mind if I just take this and put it in the tray? No, no, it's still good. A credit score of 400, I, it's, 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 on, it's trending up. It's, it's, it, was at, it was at 399 a few months ago. Now it's at 400. And I, I, just, I just think about that whole situation often when I, when I think about how God comes into my life and says, it might show up in your life like this. Somebody wrongs you. And maybe they've done something really wrong, okay? I'm not trying to just dismiss it, but somebody wrongs you. And you're in your word and you're kind of trying to grow and you're trying to be restored to who God wants you to be. And God says, hey, why don't we let that thing go now? It's been 17 years. <laughs> I, I think it's old enough and rotten enough. I think, I think we can all agree that you should get rid of that. And what do we do as human nature? Jesus, you don't understand what it's like to be wronged the way I've been wronged. You don't understand that this, the pain I'm going through. And Jesus lovingly, because he's full of grace and mercy, goes, we need to get rid of that or you're gonna be stuck. I wanna read a story about how Jesus restores somebody. And um, I think in it, we're gonna find some of the principles that will help us to see some of the things in our lives that we've been holding on to, we've been clinging on to, that keep us stuck, and that hopefully we'll be able to hand over to Christ and say, look, I, I want this to be done. Because the other thing I know about us is that we've all had those things in our lives that we have handed over to God. And we've been on the other part of the restoration process going, oh, I'm so glad that's over with. One, we talked about that a few weeks ago when we all went through our one thing. And I told you I wasn't going to let you forget about it. Uh, we, we, many of us, 150 of us, not all of us, 150, we know all the names of the people who didn't do it, so that's okay. No, we don't. Um, we turned in our one thing. And in six months, we're going to send it back to you to remind you that one thing in 2013 that we want God to either remove in our life, bring into our life, and deal with. So check this out. Uh, John John chapter 5, if you want to join me there. Um, Starting in verse 1, John, the writer of this gospel, has just finished a story about Jesus. And so now he's starting a new story, okay? And that's kind of the... It starts out this way. Sometime later... (laughs) excuse me, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, okay? So uh, there's a Jewish festival in Jerusalem. Everyone's jamming up there. Jesus and his disciples go with them. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Good night. I'm all tied up with this. (laughs) Okay, sorry. 
Yay, there we go. Hey, these are words. Excellent. Uh, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and paralyzed. And so what John's doing is he's describing this pool that used to be by the temple, by the gate, uh, the sheep gate, probably the gate where they brought in the sheep to be sacrificed for uh, back in the day when that's how people were forgiven of their sins, sacrifice of animals. That's where the sheep would go. There was a pool there. And at this pool were these five porches, covered porches, that people would go who, had, who were disabled, Okay. Now, if you have a New American Standard Bible, this, this verse I'm going to show you next is in there. If you have an NIV Bible, this next verse I'm going to show you is not in there. As a matter of fact, your New American Standard might have it in brackets, okay? I just want to explain this so you don't freak out and go, what? How come one Bible has a verse and another one doesn't? Like you can't just so we're clear, like I taught you about the fish, I'm going to teach you something else. You can't just start removing verses out of the Bible, okay? It's kind of an important uh, text, and so you got to keep it in there. So what, what happened with this particular thing? Well, here's the verse. It's half of one and another. Waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now you say, well, why did the NIV take that out? Well, the way we get our text, back in the day before they had copy and paste, we had scribes, okay? And the scribes would um, copy down, they were professionals, they would copy down the... (laughs) They would copy down the words, and some of them would use that time to teach. And so what they'd do is they'd write, they'd scribe out their thing. I wonder if that's where we get scribble from. Uh, Anyway, Um, and then in the margins, they'd make little notes, okay? So when we had the text by which we get this text, it had that verse in it. Then we found older manuscripts that had that verse on the side as a note, like this was kind of the superstition that was happening. And we found earlier texts that don't have it at all. And you want to go to the oldest manuscripts to kind of get uh, the best stuff. Does that make sense? Okay. So over time, as we've discovered more things, we found that that particular verse had been inserted probably by a scribe. Now, this is contested scholarly, so I, I'm not trying to, I don't believe the verse should be in there personally, but don't freak out. I'm not pulling verses out of the Bible. I just wanted to make that known. It has nothing to do with the sermon. Okay, next verse. So you got the lame and the paralyzed. One who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him a question. And the question that Jesus asks, I think is the same question he asks us today when we talk about sanctification and being restored and living a life of holiness. And and, and you're thinking, I mean, when you see the question, you'll understand what, what I'm talking about. But, duh. The answer to the question is obvious. Matter of fact, when I see the question, I don't even know why Jesus would ask such a question. It, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. But then, when I start thinking about my own life, and Jesus going through the different rooms of my house, of my life, and going, hey, what's this? 
rotten old fish. And I go, oh, that? That was what my neighbor did to me 10 years ago. It's still good, by the way. Don't take it away. I need that. Here's the question he asks. Do you want to get well? Now, if you've been disabled for 38 years and somebody comes up to you and says, do you want to get well? You're like, what's the obvious answer? Well, yeah, get out. Who are you? Get out of here. Of course I want to get well. Why do you think I'm here at the pool, okay, with everyone else who's blind? and It's not the greatest place to be. It's not, you know, we're not playing a sports game here, okay? We're, I'm trying to, you know, figure this whole pool thing out. But Jesus asked him the question. And here's the way I think, really, it relates to us. Are you willing to do what it takes to get well? See, we all want to be restored. If I were to take a poll and say, hey, guys, who, who here wants to be, uh, you know, have a really strong relationship with God? Who wants to have all your sins pretty much overcome? Like, you don't struggle with anything. Your boss comes in and tells you to do a report, and you're just like, yes, sir, I love my boss, and I love my job, and God has given me everything I need for life and godliness, right? I mean, we'd all go, yeah, yeah, no, I totally want that. And all of a sudden, the Lord goes, oh, good. We're going to clean out this whole section of your life. And you're like, no. Well, do do you want to get well? See, I think this is the tension. And this is kind of, if you will, the joy of knowing Christ. He really wants us to struggle with this question. He really wants us to answer it honestly. There have been times in my life where if I honestly asked that, answered that question, I would have said, no, I don't want to get well. I want to hang on to this thing because I feel like I deserve it. And the Lord goes, wow, it's stinky fish, dude. And here's the thing the Lord knows about us. That the stuff we want to hold on to, just like that rotten fish, has the potential to kill us. It says that sin brings forth death. And you don't need to be a rocket science to figure out, you know, all the anxiety and depression and fear and unforgiveness really does have an effect on our personal bodies, ulcers and and heart stuff and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord's going, do you want to be well? Now watch what happens. The guy doesn't say yes. (laughs) He doesn't say no. He, he, he says this. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Okay, so he says, look, I got nobody, Jesus. Well, he doesn't know it's Jesus yet. I, I got nobody. Here I am. You look at me. I can't do anything, but every time the water stirred up. Now, you say, well, how does that work if you didn't believe the other verse is supposed to be in there? I believe they thought that it was just like we do today, that there's crystals or bubbling underground well and healing baths and all that kind of stuff. They really believe that if they got to the water, they'd, they'd be healed. So whether we argue all day long of was it a angel of the Lord? Was it a, you know, who knows? Okay. But this guy felt stuck. He felt isolated. And so he says that. So Jesus, being Jesus, says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Jesus heals him right there. 
Now this, I mean, I love reading my Bible, and so I love like just looking at different, I love to be surprised by the Bible. It's just cool. I try to read it. I truly try to read it like I've never read it before. And so like I ask myself a lot of questions. Like I ask myself, man, why didn't he heal everybody there? You got all these people that want to jump in the pool. Jesus could have been like, hey, you know, dude, I dream a genie thing, and all of a sudden everybody's healed. He chooses not to do that. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, if you're a reader of the text back in the day, in your mind you'd go, dun, 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 like, whoa, because you, know, you know what's, what's coming. And what happens is he gets up and he's got his mat and he's jamming around. I mean, a miracle took place. A guy who was an invalid for 38 years is now jamming around with his mat. Probably going to put it up on the wall and go, man, remember when I was, oh man, remember that? Yeah, God healed me. And so the Pharisees come and they do the loving thing and they accuse him of uh, breaking one of the laws that they've made up. And they say, who healed you? Who told you to pick up your mat and walk? And this is so cool. He says, uh, the man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Stealth Jesus jamming around. So here's your thing as you're writing in your notes. Just write this down. Just understand. Jesus is awesome, okay? I mean, that is so cool. He heals somebody, and then it's just like, slips in. He's got his robe, you know, jams around. Now watch what happens. It's really cool. So later, and this next verse might, might frighten you a little bit, which is good. Part of my job as a pastor is to frighten you. Uh, John 15, 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple. And watch what Jesus says to him. See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you can't say that to somebody. Like, they were an invalid for 38 years, and now you're like, Some, if you keep sinning, something worse than being an invalid by being disabled for 38 years. If I keep, okay, hold on, Jesus, let me get this down because this is, you kind of caught me off guard. What you're saying is, if I keep sinning, something worse than being disabled for 38, worse than, oh, okay. I wonder what his prayer life was like after that. I wonder if, like, if Jesus tells you, I mean, can you imagine you're you're having a dream and Jesus is like, hey, you better stop sinning. I'm, I'm going to get you. I'm going to do something. You're going to be, remember that guy who was disabled for 30? Oh, it would be, be way worse. You're like, what, Jesus? What, what the heck? Here's what I think Jesus is saying to him. And this is what I think Jesus wants us to get. I think it's really, really important. What Jesus is trying to do with this guy, I believe, is to connect how important soul care is. What Jesus is saying is, listen, the state of your soul is far more important than your physical state. The the state of who you are on the inside is way, way, way more important than if you're disabled or not. Let, Let me put it this way. To be disabled spiritually is infinitely more 
serious than being disabled physically. That's what I think Jesus is saying. Take care. Now that, look, I healed you. You you remember you had that for 38 years? See, you're well now. Now, take care of the inside. Now, think about this, because this is, this is an incredible kind of theological understanding. Okay, I don't mean to get all heady, but, but think of this, okay? I, I'm gonna, I believe, Christians believe, that you're going to spend eternity with God, okay? That through what Christ did on the cross, that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus, okay? And my Heavenly Father in heaven when I die. Now, I don't know how he's going to keep me engaged for that long because I have ADD and maybe that all goes away when I, when I get up to heaven. I have no idea. But that's what I believe. I'm going to spend eternity with my heavenly father. So what does it really matter now? I mean, what, what am I going to live? Max 106 years, probably, maybe 107 if I'm lucky. I mean, I mean, okay, and you think, wow, you know, ha ha, right? But okay, let's just say I live the longest anyone's ever lived in, 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 a, in you know, recent years. Because the bi- they've got some other 900. I'm not going to beat that, but okay. Let, I mean, let's assume that I live 100 years. But I want to spend eternity with God. Now think about this. All through the Bible, all through the Bible, God makes the case that what we do here is very important. It's really important how you go through your marriage. It's really important how you raise your kids. It's really important how you use your finances. It's really important that we forgive. It's really important that we get over some of our issues. That is astounding to me. That even though I'm going to spend eternity with God, God cares about what's going on in my life right now. This is the process of sanctification. And because it's so important, it's part of the mission of our church. The things that Pastor Bob and I talk about in the office overwhelmingly is how do we create a church where someone can come in broken, be healed, and go out restored. I mean, ultimately, that's our conversation. And so, like he was mentioning, we talk about men's ministry, women's ministry, all this kind of stuff, because we believe that the state of your soul, the care of your soul, even if you've been a Christian for 20 years, is vitally important to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on. So he says, uh, see, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, which, again, you memorize that verse and use it on your kids. It's very awesome. Hey, clean your room or something worse may happen to you. Okay, no, anyway, sorry, we'll move on. Okay, now watch what the man does. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus that made him well. He ratted out Jesus. Like, they're, like who made you? We're gonna, we want to get that guy. Oh, you know, and here the guy just says, Jesus just says, you better stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. I don't know what he, what he thought it meant. But then he's like, uh, goes and tells on Jesus. Don't do that. Don't tell on Jesus, Okay. <laughs> But anyway, I had to read that verse because the next one is just super, super, super important. Okay, so he goes and he tells the Pharisees, hey, it was Jesus and, you know, whatever. And maybe, you know, I was talking to somebody after first service and they were saying, you know, maybe he was sharing his testimony. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. They start persecuting Jesus about the Sabbath. Jesus, 
who like invented the Sabbath. And they're bugging Jesus about the Sabbath. And what Jesus says to them, I think is so phenomenal. And I think if we can just wrap our heads around this truth that, that, um, that he says... He says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Now, in his defense, Jesus says this. This is mind-boggling. My father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. Do you know what this means? This means that we have a heavenly father The God of the universe, the God who created everything, who created you and me, he's at work in you. He's at work in your life. Now you go, I've never seen him or heard him or whatever. He's always at his work. We could say again to this very day. And and so the the understanding that it's not just about salvation, we don't stop our mission with just reach. Like, hey, come, now we're going to have a come to Jesus moment. Raise your hand. You're saved. Awesome. Have a nice day. <laughs> there's this other work that's happening, this sanctifying, again, there's that word, sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that goes into each one of our rooms of our life and goes, hey, what's this? Sometimes it's incredibly uncomfortable. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works through your spouse. And she's the one that seems to be in the room figuring everything out, right? Sometimes it's an accountability partner that says, hey, dude, can I tell you something? I, I noticed this in your life. It looks like you're out of control in this area. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a friend. Sometimes it's something you read that the, that the Holy Spirit is at work. Sometimes you're driving in your car and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you just come to the realization, you know what? This has got to change. This part of my life has got to change. You know what that is? It's your heavenly father at work in you. The God of the universe is at work in you and in me. And that's why restore is such a big part of our mission. That's why we want, we, and we say it this way a lot, we want you better a year from now than you are now. We want you making wiser decisions. We want you knowing the scriptures more. We want you more engaged. We want you in ministry. We want you, we want you moving forward. Because we feel like the restoration process, our life on earth, matters for eternity.